asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. That is right, Joel. We have five excellent questions that we're going to answer uh, during our Ask How to Money episode today. Uh, we're going to take a question regarding car insurance limits, uh, what we think the proper limits should be, and and basically just how to think about some of the different types of coverage as well as the limits that we need for those. Yeah, because not having enough can hurt you financially. Exactly, man. We've got a, a listener question who is asking about having a money conversation with a family member. He wants to make sure that he's not overstepping his bounds. Uh, that one's going to be fun. And we're also going to talk about the merits of a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year. Uh, we've got some good thoughts on that one. Plus, we have two other questions that we're going to get to during this episode. 
I am looking forward to it. All right. Speaking of those relational money questions, Matt. Oh, my gosh. You have a relational money issue you're dealing with right yeah, now. Yeah, I gave you a little a little preview as to what I wanted to talk about for our little pre-episode banter segment that we, we tend to have here. I've got a little predicament, right? So I've got a good friend from college. He is getting married this fall, and he's having a bachelor weekend, and I am torn <laughs> because this bachelor weekend is going to cost a lot of money. And before listeners start judging me, I am not opposed to spending money, uh, especially when it comes to celebrating a friend, right? However, here's the rub with this particular friend. Like, we were pretty much best friends in college for, for a number of years, really close. But in the past 10 years or so, we've, you know, we've kind of gone separate ways. Uh, we're still friends, but we don't really talk much, right? I mean, we, we rarely talk on the phone. We don't really text all that much. And we rarely ever see each other in you, person. Even though you live in the same city. We live in the same city. And not only that, man, like we kind of live in the same part of town. He doesn't live all that far away. And even still, like we don't really, we just don't really hang out. Like, honestly, we just have less in common than we used to. And that's fine, right? I mean... People grow, they change, and I think it's okay that our relationship has also changed. And so when it comes to spending a large amount of money, or you know what I perceive to be a large amount of money on, say, a bachelor weekend down in uh, a city that's not cheap, you know, like it's going to involve a, a plane ticket, it's going to involve some, you know, a few nights uh, at a nice hotel, lots of other things that we're going to be spending money on as well. What are your thoughts, dude? What do you think I should do? All right, so always a tough one, right? Like, yeah. uh, because yeah, relationships are involved, and you don't want to be the cheap guy who's like always saying no well, to stuff. Either way, I'm going to be the cheap guy no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> that's just you're like, the guy who hosts the personal finance podcast. The, yeah, that's not going on the how to money. Yeah. They know that's me, uh, obviously, but I'm just not sure what exactly to do in this situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it is a tough one, but yeah, I think open lines of communication are key here in in whatever decision you make, and yeah. you know, if for you guys, you know, based on kind of how you've allocated your budget. This just doesn't fit in um, because it's kind of more expensive. I think there's other ways because it's a bachelor party. It's for a wedding, an upcoming like super happy event. Yeah. I think there's ways for you to show your friend that you still love him and find ways to connect here uh, without having to necessarily splurge on this big trip because it's uh, yeah a little too out of reach for kind of you know, where, where your budget's at right now. Well, it, well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing though. Like it's it's less about the budget, right? Like I, we can afford it. It's just that it feels... It kind of feels unnecessary given that we hardly even hang out in person when we live in the same city, you know. And so here, here's kind of where my head was, is that I've kind of casually mentioned, you know, hanging out in person uh, recently. But I think I'm going to make a more pointed effort to set up some in-person hangs, like you mentioned, you know, like getting beers, something like that. Because if it's still an important relationship in, in both of our lives, it's something that I think we will both prioritize and, and make sure it actually happens now, yeah. right? It's just the disconnect from not like hanging out in person at all when we live in the same city, you know, versus than going and spending like a lot of money in a different city when we don't ever really hang out in our hometown. That's the part of it that kind of rubs me the wrong way that makes me feel that it's something that I shouldn't spend money on. But I, yeah, like you said, I think going out for beers, finding ways to make that connection happen now uh, might lead me to think, okay, cool. This is something that I do feel better about spending money on. Yeah, right? especially it's not you, either or. If you don't have to commit right now, if you can right, wait yeah, and yeah. have a couple hangs here in town first and then be like, yeah, wait a second. I miss this dude. Like, let's, yes. let's make this happen. Exactly. Exactly. You know, then, um, then you can pull the trigger at that point in time. But yeah, I also think it's okay to say no to some of those things. Like all of us know who has to budget for stuff like that. That's a tough ask. I feel like in our in our How to Money Facebook group, that's like a topic that comes up from time to time. It's like a destination wedding, or it's going on a bachelor yeah. or bachelorette mm -hmm. uh, trip, and it's like ah, I 
kind of can you know get get the, get the funds together but i'm not sure if it's worth it i'm not sure if i want to and we all have to make trade-offs yep. like that when it comes to our budget those are tough decisions especially when they involve relationships yeah um but yeah i think connecting with your friend reconnecting um since you live in the same city is, is probably at least the first step and then you can kind of reassess from there yeah totally i think you're right because if you can't afford it it makes the, the decision easy right you right. just don't do it like yeah. don't go into debt like we would say and we, you have an easy excuse too <laughs> <laughs> exactly whereas if you have the money you're just like that's nah, that's just not feels, interested, dude. Yes, that's where it feels tough, and that's where I'm torn. And yeah, I would love to hear listeners' thoughts on this as well. If they want to leave a comment in the group or uh, on the episode post up on our website at howtomoney.com. There you go. All right, well, let's, um, Matt, get on to the subject at hand. First off, we're drinking a beer. This one's called Seeing Green by Civil Society. Oh, yes. It's a double IPA. We'll uh, yeah talk about this one at the end of the episode. But let's get on to listener questions. For anybody out there who wants to submit a, a question for a future episode, just go to our website, howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions there for you to record your voice memo, send it our way. It takes no time at all, and hopefully we can take it on an upcoming episode. But let's get to that first question. This one is about budgeting and budgeting when your paychecks are slightly irregular. Hi, this is Ashley. My husband gets paid bi-weekly, and so about every five to six months, we get a third paycheck that hits our budget. How do I budget that extra cash? Ooh, the bi-weekly paycheck, Joel. It's been uh, maybe over 13, 13, 14 years or so since I've had a regular paycheck from an employer, you know, where I was a W-2 wage earner. That being said, I still got some thoughts on this. Uh, what do you think about the uh, the bi-weekly or the bi-monthly? It depends on, people have different definitions. I know, yes. It's, it's difficult language. I know, that, that's true. It is, it's, yeah, I never know if bi-weekly is, or, or bi-monthly is twice a month or every other once month. Once every two months <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, yeah. But we're talking about the paycheck that shows up once every two weeks. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I actually personally, really like uh, the bi-weekly paycheck for budgeting purposes yeah and yeah i have been a regular paycheck employee up until you know a few months ago and so yeah transitioning away from that is actually is difficult <laughs> and i like trying to figure out how to budget on a highly irregular income um but yeah you, you, i'm here for you thank you thank you my friend <laughs> I, I mean i know if i can go anywhere for advice it's you right but you, you yeah you get slightly smaller paychecks than you get if you were to get paid uh, twice a month right so basically mm-hmm. you're getting paid every uh, every other Friday as opposed to twice a month, which could fall on a different calendar date. And I actually specifically remember, Matt, when my employer changed that, and I was a little confused at the beginning, but I actually ended up liking that more because I always like to pretend that those paychecks didn't exist, that those two odd yes. paychecks every single year uh, didn't exist, and then continue to budget based on getting just two checks a month. Uh, so yeah, slightly smaller checks, but living on those instead. And for me, that helped accelerate my savings uh, for other uses, just to, to have my savings account, but then also to accrue down payments to buy that next real estate property. Yeah, I always kind of treated it like a, a tax return or something yeah. like that. You know, where I was <laughs> like, like a l- small little windfall. Yeah, exactly. Right? And I was like, boom, this has just accelerated my ability to yeah make that next house purchase. Yeah, that's true, man. This is a, a great tactic to take for, for, I think, a lot of folks. And the thing is, too, Ashley mentioned in her email that her family doesn't have the disposable income to pretend that this money doesn't exist, you know, and funnel it towards savings. Uh, so let's talk about how she should be handling her budget. Uh, and one way that we know about is that folks uh, can go about literally having a biweekly budget instead of a monthly budget. And so what this means is that instead of uh, breaking your expenses out into 12 months, instead, you break it out into 26 
two week periods and you know so that's, that's I want to groan after you say that because that sounds <laughs> that sounds annoying <laughs> okay so to be honest it sounds even annoying to me and like I'm kind of the, the nerdier numbers guy but like it just doesn't really line up you know but I mean this is one way to go about it but it can just be really annoying because you're gonna have to deal with these weird numbers you know like rent gets paid 12 times a year you're not making 26 smaller payments and so in a way I feel like I'm not a huge fan of this because it feels like it overcomplicates things and individuals oftentimes have a hard time sticking with the budget as it is. I can't imagine creating your own sort of framework that is outside of the monthly expenses that we realize every single month, right? And so like, I mean, all the expenses we deal with on a monthly basis, like rent, the mortgage, Netflix, you know, just your cell phone bill. I mean, I guess sometimes you pay that month in advance, which is great. (laughs) But but like utilities, all all of these things fall uh, on a monthly basis, not every, you know, not like half of it every two weeks kind of thing. And so in my opinion, I feel like that kind of overcomplicates things. Yeah. So so I think when it comes down to it, Ashley, if if you can't afford to live on 24 of the 26 paychecks that you're getting, it's really important to take a hard look at your expenses and to attempt to make some reductions wherever you can, because that's going to be the simplest way to approach your budget is essentially kind of doing what I did and counting those extra two as bonus savings or um, a lump sum that you can also put towards investing. Yeah, just pretending that they don't exist. Yeah, for the time being until they land in your lap and you're like, yeah. boom, now now this extra money has a mission too and it's savings or investing. Mm-hmm. You know, We suggest starting with some of the, the easy things first, like shopping your insurance with other companies. You can save like $1,000 or more a year by doing that. You can cut your, your cell phone bill likely in half or more saving 500 bucks a year and reevaluating maybe how many streaming services you're signed up for. Man, I feel like that's becoming a bigger and bigger problem is streaming service proliferation. Maybe save $200 or more a year just by doing that. Um, So yeah, I think then after that, after taking some of those simple steps, you can dig a level deeper to remove or reduce other expenses that are holding you back. But in order to make your budgeting easier and to increase the amount of savings you have in your life that leads to more margin, um, this is really how you're going to want to skin this guy. That's how you're going to want to tackle this. Yeah, essentially what we're trying to do here is get you kind of out of that cycle of, of kind of living paycheck to paycheck, right? Because if every one of those dollars has a name on it, then that means you just don't have that margin in your life. And so we hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but truly the solution here is going to be just to make some of those cuts like like Joel mentioned. Uh, and those are s- sustainable cuts, right? I think it is also worth pointing out too that there are cuts that you can make in your life that are going to be drastic that you know are unsustainable just to get ahead of the ball, right? Just yeah. to get ahead of those expenses. Because truly, when you know that with your money, you have to get ahead two paychecks. And then once you achieve that point, once you can float along like that, once you're two paychecks ahead, uh, those two additional paychecks won't be necessary because uh, you can then funnel those towards different savings goals, uh, different things that you're trying to achieve with your money. So ultimately, your, your goal is to get to the point where you're essentially paying for this month's bills, this month's expenses with last month's money. And so getting to the point where you can use those two extra paychecks for those bigger financial goals and, and, and budget as though you only got paid twice a month is a great goal to strive for. That financial margin is going to be crucial to lower the level of stress, you know, that you might be feeling now towards your money, as well as your ability to ramp up uh, and achieve bigger financial goals over time. Uh, You know, and we talked about different ways maybe that you can cut back in your life and to lower those expenses, but also see if you can increase your income, right? See if there's ways that whether that means working overtime, uh, even something as simple as signing up for a new credit card that's got a sweet sign up bonus. If you have control of your spending and you pay off those cards in full every single month, well, taking advantage of some of those offers offers uh, 
can be a great way to, you know, inject an extra four to six hundred to seven, eight hundred dollars into your monthly income. Yeah, Matt, just about a month ago, the New York Times did had this article and they featured like six different families and kind of how they spent. And it was just interesting to kind of actually t- to take a peek behind the curtain, see how other people are spending, what they're spending money on. And as someone who obviously thinks about personal finances a lot, <laughs> I was like, man, there's some like easy fat to trim yep. from mm-hmm. a lot of these budgets and, and not not as much from some of the other families, but there were certainly a lot of families. And I was like, man, you could totally cut this bill down in a big way. And so I think, um, Ashley, it's important to look at your budget with a critical eye, especially until you get to that point where you have more margin, where you are spending dollars that you earned uh, a month ago. You know, you have that much savings on hand. It's going to feel really good to have that kind of financial margin in your life. And I think it's worth it to go after that um, so that one, budgeting's easier and that two, you're just in a better overall financial position. So best of luck to you, Ashley, and, and your husband. And Matt, we got more questions to get to, including one about you know what kind of limits should you have on your car insurance? That feels like a nerdy question, but it's an important one. We'll get to that and more right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pump for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, Or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back. This is How to Money, just in case you forgot. <laughs> We're taking listener questions. And before we get to that insurance question, uh, we have one here about talking to a family member about their investments. Hey, Matt and Joel. This is Jared from Columbus, Ohio. My brother-in-law asked me to take a look at a stock that he wanted to sell, and when I was reviewing it, I also noticed a 401k that he had rolled over that was just sitting in a cash settlement fund from when he left the company over seven years ago. I mentioned to him that he really needs to get this into the market, and it's been over a year now, and he's still done nothing. I imagine he's just intimidated by the whole process, and I really want to help him out. There's a part of me that thinks it's none of my business, but he is married to my sister. What do you guys think I should do? All right, Matt, I love a good question like this. I love inserting myself into other families' <laughs> financial stuff, like, and, and uh, you know, just... Uh, Getting all up in their mess. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. Kind of like, you know, Gordon Ramsay does in, like, uh, the kitchens of people, of, like, restaurants that are failing. He just gets all up in there and wants to fix it. Oh. oh that's what I want to do for people's finances. What, what, uh, what show was that? Oh, uh, Kitchen Nightmares, I want to say. Kitchen, kitchen 911 or something like that. <laughs> There's yeah, been yeah. so many Gordon <laughs> Ramsay shows. How could I even remember? But, yeah, uh, I'm not going to yell as loud as he does, though. Yeah. Or curse want, as much. You don't want to make people cry. <laughs> that's right. Well, um, J- Jared, I-, I love what you said. I think, Matt, one of the most important things that he said was, he really wants to help his brother-in-law out. And I think uh, coming from that posture, coming from that stance is huge. Uh, and and I agree too that Jared does have a little bit of skin in this game with his sister being married to, to his brother-in-law. It's like, yeah. yeah, you don't want your sister to be destitute someday. I, I understand that. You want to make sure that she's well taken care of. Uh, plus, at the same time, Matt, his brother-in-law has already asked for Jared's help before. Yeah, that's that's what I think is super key here. Yeah, yeah, right? So like the, the fact that, that he has come to you, Jared, before for help would is a reason enough for me to feel comfortable saying, uh, saying something in this case if I were you. He seems to appreciate your wisdom when it comes to finding finances. So offering that wisdom up, even though he hasn't asked uh, specifically this time, I think that's still okay. Yeah, his brother-in-law knows that uh, that Jared listens to How to Money. <laughs> oh, that's twice now that I've mentioned our show. Yeah, you're like, like going third person today. Yeah. What's going on? Man? Yeah, I'm feeling the need to sell the show for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Like a carnival uh, marker over there. But but like you said, yeah, he already has he, like he has permission, in my opinion, to give some of that input. And specifically, it, it doesn't sound like he was just looking at a stock that his brother asked him about. It looked like it sounded like he has access to his actual retirement account, his 401k. 
okay, which means like he's logged in. There's a <laughs> lot of trust there. If you're sitting down looking at someone's, you know, like basically it's like pulling open someone's underwear drawer. Like <laughs> you're seeing everything, the good and the bad. Right. And so I, I think that's another reason why I feel that uh, he's got kind of permission to say something. Um, and I almost sort of see it as like, uh, imagine if his brother-in-law went to a doctor, right? Say he went to a dermatologist to get like a little spot looked at on his back. He's like, want to make sure it's not cancer. But if he's got high blood pressure and, you know, the dermatologist has seen that, that's something he needs to know, right? Like he didn't maybe, maybe he didn't come in asking about that. But if that's something that you notice, like it's something that you have to mention. And so in the same way, he wasn't necessarily asking about all of this money that's sitting there as idle cash. But in this instance, uh, I think Jared needs to say something. Yeah, I guess Jared has kind of like a Hippocratic oath to his brother-in-law to let uh, yeah. him do no harm to himself. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah, and I think too, like if intimidation is the reason he's not taking action, which is the case for so many people, acting like a helpful Sherpa can be like the perfect tack to take. And, and it sounds like that's Jared's approach too, right? I don't think Jared's coming in like like I would, like Gordon Ramsay style, like, get it together, man, um, <laughs> and gusting <laughs> him out. But yeah, I think one of the most important things is to help your brother-in-law see why leaving that money in a cash settlement account is going to be to his long-term detriment. Right. And to not make him feel like a dummy for making a big mistake, but to help him maybe see more like the power that his money can have if he chooses to do something else with it. Especially with all the concerns around inflation right now, Matt, that's worth bringing up, right? Uh, the, the biggest goal uh, for that money is to ensure that it's not slowly being eroded by inflationary forces and the only way to do that is to invest it instead of just letting it chill on the sidelines. It's already in the account. Now it just needs to be funneled in the right direction. Yeah, he's just one step short of the, the finish line. That's right. <laughs> it's like you're already in the race. You're running. Just make sure you get it across the finish line. Get that money invested. And Jared, also realize, too, that you can, uh, you know, how's the saying go? Like you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. If your brother-in-law just isn't interested in hearing more of your perspective once you begin that conversation, just change the topic, right? This might be something where maybe we're just completely mistaken here. Uh, maybe he doesn't want to hear this information from you. Maybe he only wanted your opinion on Tesla <laughs> or, or whatever uh, that stock or fund is because he knows maybe you're also interested in it. Some people are, are happy to get advice from a loved one who cares about them, but others can feel like maybe uh, you're stepping on their toes and you never know when that conversation might hit them. Maybe even in a different way, causing them to kind of open up the lines of communication again. You know, he might read a headline or hear something on a podcast uh, that helps him to realize the error of his ways. And, you know, that might cause him to reach back out in a few months down the road. And so it's crucial to prioritize the relationship here over this financial fix. Uh, in the long term, that's probably going to lead to more fruitful conversations than this one specific example. So best of luck to you as you, you navigate the waters there with your brother-in-law. And uh, yeah, let us know how it goes. I hope the conversation uh, ends up on a positive note. Yeah, me too. Yeah, reach back out via email. Let us know how it goes for sure. All right, Matt, let's get to the next question. This one is about car insurance limits. And if you're going with the state minimums, are you putting yourself at risk? Hey, this is Lex calling from Minneapolis. My question involves liability insurance on my car. Until recently, I thought I was being frugal by only having the state minimums. But now that I have built a net worth of 150K, I'm thinking that I need to protect myself from getting sued if I were to make a mistake and injure someone. I'm curious if you recommend protection equal to your net worth or even higher. Thanks, guys. and I'm a huge fan of the show. Hey, great question, Lex. So getting sued, it's not likely, right? But it is a, uh, a threat. It's uh, something to keep in mind. And it's worth doing something about, especially as your net worth uh, is increasing. So kudos on uh, doing a good job with your money as well. We wanted to point out, though, it's important to note that some, uh, maybe even most of your net worth might not be at risk in the event of an at-fault accident. 
that mostly depends on the laws of the state where you live. And, and so if you have most of your money tied up in retirement accounts like 401ks and IRAs, even if you were sued, that money might be protected. Uh, deposit accounts, however, so like your savings uh, account will be at risk and, and any real estate you own would also be at risk in the event of a lawsuit. Uh, and so we wanted to mention that just first off, because if most of your net worth is in a checking account or, or tied to equity in a primary or rental property, it would be maybe even riskier for you to have just the state minimum amounts of car insurance coverage. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're definitely hoping <laughs> that this theoretical lawsuit never happens in Lex's case, or really in anyone's case, right? But it's not a bad idea to do some planning for potential snafus as your wealth grows, right, Matt? It's like one of those things. It's like getting life insurance after you have uh, your first child. It's, yeah. um, it's really important to make sure that your family's taken care of in the unlikely case that you pass away prematurely. So like you're you know, 28 years old or 32 years old buying a life insurance policy and the likelihood that you're going to die is slim, but it's still incredibly cheap coverage and it's something worth planning for, right? And so like in, on the similar notes, you know, uh, having only the state minimum coverage, it's likely cheap instead of frugal, but it also depends on what state you're in. For instance, New Hampshire doesn't require you to have any coverage whatsoever. <laughs> like it's like the only state I think that doesn't require uh, their its citizens to have car insurance. So I, I don't know. I, that that would freak me out a little bit. Yeah, their state motto is "Have it your way." <laughs> <laughs> no, it is "Live free or die," which actually does make sense, I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I can't imagine you know going without it. But uh, yeah, you're on the hook for whatever costs are incurred above the the coverage limits that you've chosen in the event of an accident. So, for instance, if the driver you hit is severely injured, medical costs right could skyrocket pocket pretty quickly. So I would say, yeah, 100, 300, 100 for body injury liability, property damage liability. That's what I've got. And I think more people should be paying for higher levels of coverage. Uh, but if that jacks up the price too much, I would say like the minimum amount worth going for is the 50, 150. I think personally going below those limits is cheap. It's just, it's not frugal. It's you're being penny wise and pound foolish at that point. Yeah, that 100, 300, 100 coverage is a good rule of thumb for, for most folks out there, honestly. And Lex, it's important to note as well that your car insurance policy covers uh, a few different things, depending on, on the types of coverage that you have. If you have health insurance, putting more money towards your personal injury it likely isn't necessary. That doesn't add a lot typically to your premiums. But again, if it's not necessary, why, why even have it at all? However, you'll definitely want to have uninsured motorist protection uh, because that could cost you a pretty penny if someone without insurance causes an accident. So say somebody moved from New Hampshire, they, they weren't aware of the state minimums and then all of a sudden, yeah, you're stuck with a bill but with no insurance. Well, well, even in states that require you know, car insurance, there are still a lot of folks driving around who don't have it. So that's, yeah. that's really what you're protecting yourself from. Just because their state minimums doesn't mean everybody follows the laws. And Lex as well, one piece of coverage that we're a fan of ditching, if you have an older car, especially, uh, and if you've built up a solid savings, is collision and comprehensive coverage. If that's you, then we feel that liability only is fine. Uh, if you have a car in the, say, in like the five to $10,000 range that you could easily replace in the event of an accident. I feel like we're kind of on the line. We kind of have a, a somewhat newer van. I mean, it's still almost like 10 years old, but those Hondas are still expensive, even the older ones. And so in our case, Joel, I actually still have maintained comprehensive coverage specifically because so our Honda is Hal. <laughs> we park Hal under this hundred year old tree that's kind of like on the back of our property. And if that tree were to, I mean, even a branch falling off that tree yeah. on the car would essentially total the you, thing. You like to live dangerously with Hal. 
Uh, well, that's just where our driveway is. <laughs> so <laughs> it's either that or on the street. But because of that, we still maintain our comprehensive policy, uh, not because I'm afraid I'm going to hit a deer and I think that, you know, I'm going to need to use my insurance for that. But if the car is parked in the driveway and if the tree falls on it or if a big old branch falls on it, that's the kind of coverage that we want to make sure that we've got. Well, my van, Homer, I do not have full <laughs> coverage on. And, and that is particularly because it's worth so little. Yeah, yours is even older than ours. It's probably worth, I don't know. $4,500. And I can self-insure for that amount. Plus, when you think about it, I'm going to have to pay the deductible. So, my, my and I have a high deductible. It's not 45 It's more like 35 Well, assuming you have a, a $1,000 $1, deductible. deductible. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's that's really um, what, what you're looking at. It, the, the, the lower in value your car gets, the more important it is to have that cash in the bank and be self-insured. And two, Matt, uh, lower rates on insurance can be nice, right? Uh, paying less every single month on, oh, on yeah. that car insurance premium sounds nice. But while opting for too little coverage, can keep the premiums low. It also can put you at risk. And you can't mitigate every potential risk in life. I think that's important to mention too. But going with the minimum coverage, I think, uh, puts you at undue risk. And it, it puts you at the risk of undoing some of the hard financial work that you've that you've been doing, Lex. Right. So it is a good rule of thumb to have enough coverage to uh, equal to your overall assets. Yeah. I mean, I honestly feel that it's okay to get even a little bit more coverage because it kind of comes down to how comfortable you are with risk, right? Yeah. If, if you want to eliminate all risk from your life, obviously you can't ever do that. Don't drive a car if that's the case. True. Yeah. But you could also decrease the levels of risk that you're exposed to by paying a little bit more every single month or yeah. Yeah, annually, assuming you get a discount there. <laughs> yeah. And there, there are other ways too to lower the cost of your insurance without skimping on coverage, right? So yeah, raising your deductible up even higher, like I mentioned, to save money on premiums instead of lowering your coverage is a good way to go. I want to mention too, Matt, that, that for folks who have built up a lot of assets, umbrella insurance is another great option for people who have high net worth and need to protect bigger sums of money that they built up if they've got a portfolio of rental properties or they just have a lot of money in savings. and, and Or it, let's say in their state, their retirement accounts aren't protected then an umbrella insurance policy is going to be worth considering. You can often get like a million dollars of coverage for a few hundred dollars a year. It's really not that expensive. Uh, Also too, uh, Lex, don't forget to snag quotes from other insurers and don't just blindly go with the one that you're with. You might find that you can get that increased coverage and not pay anything more just by switching to another provider at the same time. That's right. Yeah. Make sure to shop it around. So Lex, we hope that gets you pointed in the right direction. Uh, Joel, we've got a couple more questions we're going to get to right after the break. We've got a question about I-bonds. We're going to talk about what they are, who they're for, and we're going to talk about the 15 versus 30-year mortgage. We'll get to both of those right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. 
It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to kachava.com slash how to money. That's spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A and get 10% off your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash how to money. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house. Or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back, and we're about to get to that mortgage question. But but first, let's talk about I-bonds and whether they're a good decision for this listener. Hey, Matt and Joel, this is Dana from Louisiana. Considering I have enough emergency fund stash away and savings, I am interested in moving some extras to an I-bond. It appears their interest rate for the next six months is going to be around 3.4 to 3.5%. Is this a good move? Thanks for your input. All right, Dana, thank you so much for that question. And we love that you've built up a, a solid emergency fund in your savings there and, and that you're you know planning to put even more money into I-bonds potentially. Folks are definitely getting more and more interested in I-bonds. I-bonds, so hot right now. They are, they are. And and it's understandable because inflation continues to be a topic of concern. 
And since the rate of return on iBonds has gone up nicely, the rate on those reset in May and, and you can now earn just above 3.5%. And we might even see that rate go up in the coming months because inflation looks to be at least temporarily increasing, which will raise that yield. Uh, and so Dana and, and others who are interested, you can go to treasurydirect.gov to learn more and to purchase those iBonds there. Yeah, it definitely makes me think of Zoolander. Hansel was so hot. You know, he was a hot model at the time. Derek Zoolander was really bummed. And iBonds right now, so much better than, than savings accounts. Hydro I mean, savings. They are for different things. But, you know, <laughs> if you're looking for a medium-term savings vehicle, iBonds yes. are huge. They're way better than CDs, right? I would say they're they're probably more similar when you're making a comparison because CDs, you're locking your money up for a little bit of time. iBonds, similarly, you have to be willing to lock up your money for at least a year. But, yeah, especially with uh, solid interest rates on savings being essentially non-existent, I-bonds are a great medium-term savings option. So, yeah, Dana, if that's what you're looking for, then this is probably the way to go. There are a couple of downsides, though. You know, you're limited to only putting $10,000 a year into I-bonds, and, and that's actually a lot for most folks, right? Yeah, that's a good amount. But, I mean, yeah. it depends on how much you're looking to sock away, though. Right. I mean, if you're looking to put, say, oh, you know, over 20% down on an expensive house, you uh, you're probably wishing that you could put away more than $10,000 a year, right? Right, yeah. And like I said, the minimum holding period is a year, so it's not great for that super short-term emergency fund need. Um, ideally, you would actually hold on to that I-bond for the full five years or longer so that you don't surrender any interest either. Because if you do decide to redeem that bond before that five-year period, you do have to pay back some of that interest. Uh, but they're just an excellent vehicle, Matt, for a lot of folks to consider right now to score a reasonable and guaranteed return. And like we said, that's just pretty much impossible to find anywhere else. So Dana, we hope we've addressed any concerns that you might have. And uh, yeah, for what it sounds like, if you're looking for a medium-term savings vehicle, then I-bonds are going to be for you. Uh, Joel, we've got our next question, our last question for this episode. Uh, and it has to do with, we've got a listener who's looking to refinance. Uh, and this is a debate that you and I have actually had recently where it's just like, okay, sh should we be looking at 15-year mortgages or should we be looking at a 30-year? Uh, so let's hear what Jeremy has to say. Hey guys, Jeremy here from Charlotte. I've got two questions, so I'll jump right in. I'm getting the ball rolling on refinancing and would love to get your thoughts on my term options just to double check that I'm thinking through it all the right way. We're in a townhouse that we're going to hold on to, maybe not all the way through paying it off, but at least the next 10-ish years, hoping to make it a rental within the next three or so. I know our long-run savings on the total payoff cost could be way higher with a 15-year mortgage, but I'm actually leaning towards the 30-year. Our current rate is four and a half, so anything I get now should be a full point or more below that. Plus, we'll be getting rid of our PMI. So either way, we're going to be saving something off the original terms. But my thinking is if the financial focus of this property is going to be monthly rental income, I should maximize that by minimizing the new monthly mortgage payment. That way, we have more on hand every month so we can immediately start stockpiling a dedicated savings account for rental expenses and then use the difference to jumpstart our retirement accounts, which we haven't really done yet. And then once we have some of those things in a better place, we still have the flexibility to pay extra above the 30-year lower monthly amount and make up some of the difference between the 15- and 30-year savings numbers. Which brings me to the second question. For long-term wealth building, you guys are big proponents of rental properties, and we intend to have at least this one rental as an extra monthly income stream. But my wife works for a home builder, and her boss is pushing her more towards the path of building or buying a house and reselling every two years, which seems like it could earn more than two years' worth of rental profits all in one lump sum instead of incrementally. That's not a strategy you guys have really talked about, so I'm curious what the pros and cons are there. Thanks for taking my question and for the podcast in general. You guys are doing great work. Cheers. 
All right, Matt. There's a lot to get to in this one, so let's get to it. Let's uh, do it. First, cheers to Jeremy, and here's the beginning of your investment real estate journey, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Very proud of you. And uh, yeah, let, let's start, too, with the very first part of your question, your current home. Uh, I got to say, we love the idea of living in a place before you rent it out. Matt and I, we think that purchasing a place, knowing that at some point you're going to move out and turn that into a rental is the best way for lots of folks to get started investing in real estate if they're interested. Uh, That's actually the route I took. I did it multiple times. You get better terms. You have to put less money down. You know the house. There's just a lot of pros to living in a house for a little while and then renting it out. But not all homes make great rentals, which is why it's good to know this before you purchase. Let's say you buy a uh, three quarters of a million dollar house (laughs) in Atlanta, Georgia, where we live. Uh, The likelihood that the numbers are going to make sense for you, (laughs) that you're actually going to be able to make money renting that out, they're not that good. May not be, yeah, the best rental. Yes. You you could make a good rental, but yeah, not the greatest rental. Right. And honestly, the (laughs) the likelihood that it's going to make an even good rental (laughs) is is low. But yeah, in in your case, we're assuming that you've crunched the numbers and that that townhome is going to be able to pull in decent rent numbers for you. And if that's the case, that's a great strategy. That's right. Uh, and then let's let's move on with your question, refinancing. We, th- we think that's still a great idea for a lot of folks if they're going to be in that home for quite a while. So Jeremy, it sounds like you'll own that home for a good while. If you're going to save a full point, you know, that's a good rule of thumb for refinancing, especially since you're going to be, be able to eliminate your PMI, your private mortgage insurance. That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, but uh, but be sure to know how long it'll take for you to break even uh, with those closing costs. That's helpful knowledge just to have on hand. But again, it, you know, it sounds like that you are thinking long term, which makes the likelihood of this refinance uh, it makes a lot more financial sense. But directly to your question, I am with you on getting a 30-year mortgage, especially if you plan on investing in other properties. Uh, and so this keeps your debt-to-income ratio lower, which is helpful when it comes to getting a loan on the next property that you will likely purchase. So since the money that you save on that monthly mortgage payment is going towards future investments uh, and not going towards you spending more money, we would say for you to go for it. It's all about what you're going to do with the additional money that you're saving by not going with the 15-year, right? Because exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because if you're just going to spend that money, so say you get the 30-year, you have a lower payment every single month. And with that extra money, though, what are you going to do? If it's just going to end up going towards your lifestyle, then that money would be better served uh, as equity in the property with a 15-year mortgage, yeah, right? Pay, like paying off that mortgage more quickly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, But yeah, I, I totally agree, Matt. And I think, yeah, especially if it's your goal to invest more, you're going to want more cash flow uh, and you're going to also want that lower uh, debt-to-income ratio. But let's talk also, too, uh, about your other option, what you talked about, uh, flipping homes. And, and yeah, it, that's a really different ball game than buy and hold long-term real estate investing, which is what we're the biggest fans of. And Matt and I, we would say there are some benefits to going this route that you mentioned, Jeremy. Like if you live in a home for two years or longer, you're not going to pay taxes on the gains that you realize when you sell that home, which is great. And especially for live-in flippers, this can make a whole lot of sense. But there are some potential downsides too, especially I think with the way you might be approaching it. A home that's brand new build, well, that home could actually go down in value in a short time frame, like two years, or it maybe just stays the same. Let's say it doesn't increase in value at all, but it at least stays the same. Well, because of the transaction costs of real estate, that, you, you might lose money on that investment. In, in fact, you're going to, <laughs> to lose money on that investment because of those transaction costs when you hit the sell button. Yeah. So we, we feel like, yeah, it's it's definitely riskier to invest in this way, to live in a brand new build and try to sell that after two years and reap some profits, as opposed to a longer term buy and hold strategy. 
Yeah, that short-term real estate investing uh, approach, it can pay off, uh, I would say too, especially if there's some sort of discount that your wife could get, you know, say working for that builder. If there's a way that you essentially have an advantage over the open market, that's something that you didn't mention, but certainly something to keep in mind. And so we're not completely against it. Uh, and in real estate is the perfect place too, in our opinion, to make some money on a, on a shorter timetable, if that's what you're into. But if you want to make money in a shorter period of time, you'll likely have to take a different tact. We think that moving into a, a new home and selling that, that two years later isn't nearly going to make you as much money as buying an ugly house, living in it while you fix it up, and then selling that two years down the road. Uh, that's because forced appreciation is how most house flippers make their money, uh, not just by hoping that the market just gradually goes up. They're not expecting that rising tide just to lift all boats kind of approach, right? And this is important to mention because we have seen home values skyrocket over the past year, but we just don't want you to count on it increasing at that same rate moving into the future. Yeah, Matt, like we said about buying ugly houses, that's crucial when it comes to, to actually making money short-term in real estate. You have to buy something that smells bad, that looks bad. There's bad pictures, right? Like most yeah. people want to go see the home where there's like the drone footage from, you know, from way up high. <laughs> and like, you know, there's this super sweet fisheye lens that makes all the, the rooms look bigger and everything's clean and tidy. That's not the houses you want to be looking for if you want to make money when it comes to, to real estate investing. You're going to want to find something pretty ugly that most people don't want to see. That's how you're able to make money in the space. Um, not often the, the brand new builds and selling it within two years. I think too, Matt, that the biggest reason that you and I, we don't do any sort of flips uh, really is, is because it takes a lot more work to force that appreciation into that ugly house too, right? Like putting the work in to increase a home's value while living in it is a much better bet than buying a new finished house uh, and then living in it for a couple of years, hoping to profit. But that's also kind of a full-time job and you're yeah you're living on the job scene at the same time too uh, it's a lot going on it takes more time and energy than managing rentals so yeah that, that's not where either of us are at at the moment like, i don't want to move my family into one of those ugly houses i was just describing uh, but if you could see your life looking like that then yeah live in flips might be a good path for you to take um, i just don't know that it makes sense the way you described it in your question um, it's unlikely unless like matt said you do get some sort of a discount because you work for the builder um, if that was the case and it was a steep enough discount then there's a, a chance that it could you know could potentially work out for you you'd also just want to make sure you maintained flexibility if it was your goal to move every two years but the market wasn't in that position you might have to stay in that house a little bit longer to eventually you know profit from from the sale yeah so jeremy hopefully we've given you a lot to chew on joel and i were big fans of real estate uh and i will say I've, i i could see myself doing more short-term kind of real estate stuff down the road like when i'm older when i've got more time to dedicate to it like i feel like that's the biggest thing keeping me from it is just the amount of time you and i we've got enough going on right now with all you know you've got a house full of kids i got a house full of kids uh we've got our rental properties that we manage and take care of and we've got the podcast here so but again it's not something that we're discounting completely we think there's a lot of folks who are making a, a great living doing that while also bringing uh, a good amount of value to the neighborhoods that they're working in as well. Yeah, you just got to take the right approach to make sure, yeah, you don't lose money because um, yeah. short-term plays, just a little bit harder to get right. Exactly, yeah. So, all right, let's get back to the beer, Joel, that you and I, that we enjoyed on this episode. This one's called Seeing Green. Speaking of making a profit, uh, <laughs> I noticed the seeing on the label here. It's got a little dollar sign uh, on the S. It's not just an S. It's a dollar sign. There you go. Did you notice? Uh, I did not, but now I see it. <laughs> it's a tiny little line. This is a double IPA from Civil Society Brewing Company. I could have sworn that these guys were out of California, but I'm looking at the label and it says they're out of Jupiter, Florida. Florida. Had, no, had no clue, man. What were your thoughts on this beer? Yeah, man. I've only had a few beers from, from this brewery, but 
everything I've had has been really delicious. So good. And this beer was no exception. It was very, very good. It, it was like, I would say super green. The, the hops Ooh, yeah. had this earthy vibe to them. Um, it, I felt like the hop, it was hopped out the wazoo too. <laughs> they must've used a lot of hops making this beer, but it wasn't too juicy either. I think, you know, some of the modern IPAs, um, I like some of the juicy IPAs, but sometimes they can be like over the top. This one wasn't, it was just like a perfect double IPA that had a ton of hops, brought the hop flavor, you know, without being overwhelming in any direction. Yep, I couldn't agree more, man. It was a perfectly balanced, uh, hazy IPA. It doesn't say hazy on the can, but I mean, as we poured it, you couldn't see through it. It was one of those hazy, dank, hoppy uh, double IPAs. But it was, it was like a nice balance though between the, the hoppy dankness as well as like the, the fruity floral notes that you get from it as well. And I say fruity and floral. That's relative to IPAs. <laughs> Not many folks are going to drink this and be like, oh yeah, there's a lot of fruit here. Uh, but if you're into IPAs, then this one was just perfectly balanced. Uh, really enjoyed it and glad that uh, this is one that you and I got to share on the episode, buddy. Yeah, that's what's so fascinating about hops. Like the different varieties can bring so many different flavors. Yeah. And like, so there's like this never ending concoction of IPAs that can be dreamed up. And I feel like we're seeing that on the store shelves. Right? Seriously. There really is no end to the IPAs that are being generated. But Yeah, it um, makes me think about a local brewery here uh, near us that we visited recently, and they had some IPAs that were brewed with uh, a type of hop that lends itself a coconut kind of flavor. And so it gives it like this almost like tropical cocktail kind of vibe going on with them, you know, like a tiki drink or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is about me, but yeah, I never get tired of trying a new IPA, man. If someone's like, oh, there's a new one over there. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm driving. I'm let's, going to get let's it. Let's have it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. For listeners who want the show notes for this episode, any links to, to stuff that we mentioned, we'll put those up on our website at howtomoney.com. That's right. And if you have a question for us uh, for the show, we would love it if you were to record a voice memo, email it in to us at howtomoneypod at gmail.com. Up on the website, we'll make sure to link to uh, the easy to follow instructions uh, that explain how you can do that. No doubt. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, but until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Bring a little 
optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robey. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.